1: from ESPN and you're listening to the ML Sports Platter.
2: The ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms where you get podcasts on your smartphone device. Hit me on Twitter at Mike Sports. We are brought to you by Bryant and Stratton College, Stanley Law Offices, and Welch and Company Jewelers. Log on to welchjewelers.com and shop the Showcase today. A big tip of the cap thank you as well to the Vince Aguirre Consulting Group and our good friends at Rosie's Corner. Remember, if you're in and around Central New York, the pizza, pasta, hot and cold subs and more, they are on a two-week so uh, having a little vacation time. They will reopen on Monday the 19th and be on the lookout for Fish Friday and Mac and Cheese on Thursdays and Fridays. I can't wait to talk to our next guest, Luke Eplin. You can get him on Twitter, at LukeEplin.com. He is author of Our Team, the Story of Larry Doby, Bill Veck, Bob Feller, and Satchel Paige. It's very simple. It's an epic story of four men in the World Series that changed baseball forever. You think about that improbable union of those men on the Cleveland Indians in the late 1940s. Won it all in 1948, and it would shape the immediate post-war era of Major League Baseball and beyond. Let's chat with Luke Epplin. This book is outstanding. Go get it online. Where books are sold and in bookstores. Luke, congratulations. Welcome aboard. Hey, thanks so much. So, first question right out of the right out of the shoot is I mean, the impact of Larry Doby, Bill Veck, Bob Feller, and Satchel Page. I mean, it, it it's we're still feeling it in baseball right now. But them together, obviously, was the powerful part here. So, in what way, because they all were together doing this. From all kinds of different areas and backgrounds, and the way they made the impact on the game, both short term and long term, because they did it all together, how different? How different is it? Because it was those four, as opposed to two of them, or three of them, or one of them.
1: Yeah, it's extraordinary. That's uh, one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because you had the confluence of these sort of four individuals who are all pioneering. Um, different areas kind of at the same time. You had Bill Veeck, who uh, this was his first major league team that he, that he bought. He was a very young man when he bought the Indians in 1946. He was 32. And he had these sort of ideas about baseball. A baseball game is a sort of theater experience where you had sort of room for competitive play on the field, but also sort of diverting sideshows on the on on the side there so between innings or before games you can have promotions things that really sort of entertained the fans made it sort of feel like like there was a there was more sort of entertainment to be had outside of just the play on the field and so he's really inventing the modern stadium experience during his time on the Indians, and we still see his fingerprints all over at the same time right now. Then you've got Bob Feller and Satchel Paige, who were the best white and black pitchers of their time. But what they also were were tremendous entrepreneurial People. They knew how to make money off of themselves, off their names, off their narratives. They were sort of pioneers in thinking about the athlete as brand. Um, And you can definitely trace a direct line from Satchel Page to Michael Jordan to LeBron James. The things that Page sort of innovated in terms of finding ways to make money, not only off of what he did on the field, but off of his persona, off of uh, off of the way that he conducted himself, um, are, are, still with us today. And then of course you have Larry Doby, who is a literal pioneer and that he was the first, uh, player from the Negro leagues to make it into the American league. And, uh, his example was, was one that, uh, allowed other sort of owners to see the sort of gains that could be had if you, uh, if you, desegregated your roster. So you had all of these men sort of swirling together on the same team, and it's certain, your influence, I mean, is, is evident in so many different areas in the game today. So the
2: 1948 season, obviously, they win the World Series, and it's the series that changed baseball with these four men who changed baseball. Where do you rank that single-season championship for the Indians all time? Is that single-season team up there for, you know, the top five, top 10 of all time. I mean, dynasties are one thing, right? You win multiple ones and you're there for a long time, but they won it and you had the Yankees basically every other year, you know, during that time. Where do you put that 48 Indian team all time in terms of champs? Well, it's it's hard to say because I
1: think that they have been overlooked a little bit. As you mentioned, the Yankees uh, had a sort of dynasty going at that time. They went in 1947, and then immediately after 48, the Yankees reel off several straights, and so the Indians kind of got almost buried as a blip in between the Yankees uh, championships. But in terms of uh, in terms of the, that team and its importance, there. You had an Indians club that could not sort of get over the hump, could not get past the sort of power teams of the American League, whether that was the Yankees, or the Red Sox or the Tigers. And what Bill Vex sort of did with that 1948 team was desegregating the roster and adding sort of players that allowed them to to get over that hump. He added Larry Doby and what the Indians needed was outfielders, and they were searching for them. How could they sort of make that sort of uh, leap with with the sort of outfield that they had? Well, Larry Doby was the person that really spurred that team to get them into the playoffs. And then, of course, Beck added Satchel Page in the middle of the 1948 season. The Indians always had this sort of tendency to come charging out of the gates in the season and then by mid-season they begin to flag a little bit and that's when they would get overtaken by the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Tigers and during that season whenever they added Satchel Page in July of 1948 Page won six games between July and August and that really sort of carried the Indians through what had historically been the time whenever they swooned and so it really kind of showed like the gains that could be had through uh, integration. And so it was a team that allowed other owners to look at it and say, hey, maybe if we sort of desegregated our rosters like that, we could also sort of inject uh, sort of new talent and and sort of new spark into our club. So in that way, it was extremely significant.
2: How different is baseball? How different is black baseball if... Satchel Page, not Jackie Robinson breaks the barrier. If Larry Doby breaks it, not Jackie Robinson. It, it, are there are there major differences or no?
1: It's a tough question to, to answer. Um, when when Jackie Robinson got gets signed by the Dodgers and the signing is announced, Sachel Page has a very complicated reaction to it. He, thinks to himself that because of all the sort of things that he had done whether it was sort of opening up stadiums for black ball players because satchel page was such a big draw that they needed larger venues um, for for these things whether it was kind of popularizing black baseball satchel page was so popular in the 30s and the 40s that White fans who otherwise would not have known anyone from the Negro Leagues often knew who Satchel Paige was because there were profiles written about him in the Saturday Evening Post and Time Magazine and all these places. Um, So Paige really believed that because of all he'd done to sort of show the talents of of, of black ballplayers that he should have been the one to uh, integrate the major leagues. And whenever it was Jackie Robinson, a man who was much younger than him and had a shorter resume— Page was hurt. Page really felt that, that he deserved that honor. But but at that time, he was, uh, you know, approaching 40 years old. Um, he was from an era that seemed to be sort of passing by. And there was this sort of sense that that, that integration had come too late for Satchel Page. Um, and Larry Doby, you know, I mean, he... Uh, he was unknown to a lot of people in in white baseball. Jackie Robinson was known. He had been a star halfback at UCLA football's team. He white fans knew him from those those games. And so he had, he he was somebody that was kind of ideally positioned because of because of his sort of star recognition. He was a little bit older than Doby. He um yeah, it would have been much different if Doby had had sort of entered the the league. I think the central page question is much more interesting. Like, I mean, people would say up page in the 1930s that, that, uh, Dizzy Dean and Lou Gehrig and everyone that satchel page belonged in the major leagues. And so, uh, it really kind of almost is a shame that he wasn't the first
2: one chosen. Yeah. I remember reading so many times the, the, the quote, you know, Joe DiMaggio saying the best pitcher he ever faced was Satchel, you know, and and yeah, and uh, Joe
1: DiMaggio said that early in his career. You can go yeah. back to newspaper clippings yeah. from Joe DiMaggio's rookie year. And Joe DiMaggio is saying that Satchel Paige was the greatest pitcher.
2: 36, ever right? 1936. It, it
1: like, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like he was saying this much later in his career after he retired. Right. Joe DiMaggio recognized
0: Discover how we can make your education and your goals for the future a reality. Visit us at umgc.edu. That's umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter, and you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, It's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense.
3: Dan, Safa is the best mattress choice for us. After all, how could you go wrong with their risk-free 180-day in-home trial and 15-year warranty?
0: That does sound risk-free. Takes me back to some of our risk-free vacations.
3: You mean that rafting excursion you claimed to be risk-free but ended in a four-story waterfall? Or the African safari that ended with a flat tire by the lion's den? Or the... You know
2: what? Let's just... Order a Soppa.
3: Get $200 off your purchase of $1,000 or more at Soppa.com slash 200.
2: Our team, the epic story of four men in the World Series that changed baseball forever. Go get it online where books are sold and in bookstores you visit on the regular Luke Eplin, the author. He's our guest here on the ML Sports Platter. Make sure to follow Luke on Twitter as well, at Luke Eplin. That's at Luke, E-P-P-L-I-N. And uh, of course, uh, the ML Sports Platter here brought to you by Bryant & Stratton College and Welch and & Company Jewelers. Give me a good Bill Vec story in the book.
1: <laughs> so,
2: What a guy, Bill, huh? Oh. <laughs> yeah, incredible guy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, he's larger than life in so many different
1: ways. When Bill Vec um, goes to the 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 services for world war ii he gets stationed on an island in the south pacific and he's operating anti-aircraft uh guns and one of the large shells that he's loading backfires and sort of goes onto his right foot and just basically smashes it he's in amputation wards but he doesn't want to lose his foot um he buys the indians and he's his leg is in a cast and there's just sort of this idea that it's going to have to come off but he really sort of tries to delay it through the 1946 season so that he can see out the first year that he buys the Indians. In the off-season of that year, he does end up undergoing uh, surgery. The the leg comes off, and when he gets fitted for a prosthetic leg, he wants to sort of show the community that just because he's lost his leg, it doesn't mean that he's going to slow down or be hindered by it. So he announces a dance on the day that his prosthetic leg is delivered to him in Cleveland. On that dance night, he just dances the entire night to the point where blood is spurting out of his pants and going onto the dance floor. And whenever he sort of ends the evening, he finds out that because his sort of Stump of a leg is so tender and unused to being on that prosthetic that the blood that had come out of it has glued the prosthetic leg directly onto it, and he can't get it off. So he has to soak his new prosthetic leg into the bathtub to unstick it, and that kind of is a symbol of Bilvek is. He is a persistent man who was going to do whatever it took both to entertain and to show that he is dedicated to the team, regardless of whether it's going to jeopardize his health to the point where he can't get his prosthetic
2: leg off of his stump. I mean, what a character. And, you know, the stories of <laughs> him burning out cigarettes and that thing and uh, yeah. unbelievable stuff. What do you think... Individually, I had a couple more for you here, Luke. What do you think individually, Larry Doby, Bill Veck, Bob Feller, Satchel Page, and I've met only one of these guys, obviously, because of my age. I met Bob Feller at the Hall of Fame a couple of times, and I interviewed him in Cleveland, actually, in I think 2004 in the press box, and he told crazy, crazy stories. Um, and it was actually pretty cordial for a guy who hated the media. Um, but what do you think these guys, Doby, Veck, Feller, Page, each individually, what do you think they would think about the game today? A game that many people, I don't know if you are, I am, many people are down on baseball right now.
1: It's a tough question. I think that Bill Vack would, um, I think it would be an interesting thing for him to think about what Bill Vack would say because Bill Vack's sort of problem was that the baseball was pickled in tradition, that it sort of, uh, that it sort of thought of itself as being the American pastime, the grand old game, and that prevented it from wanting to make sort of changes to make it more fan friendly and all of these sorts of things. So whenever he was doing promotions like, putting uh, clowns on the sideline or stuntmen or shooting off fireworks and all that sort of stuff he was doing. You know, a lot of the old guard of baseball did not enjoy that. But now you see that all over the place. You see sort of mascots and cap dances and sort of scoreboard antics and all these sorts of things. So I think that he would recognize tremendous influence that he had on shaping the stadium experience. But at the same time, he loved the element of surprise. He didn't want sort of people to be like, well, now it's the fourth inning. Now they're going to shoot off the t-shirt canning. Now it's the fifth inning. Now the mascot comes out on the field. He was always trying to think of something new that was going to surprise fans, that was going to make them be like, oh, we can't miss the game because what if Bill Veck does something really cool and we're going to miss it and he'd never do it again. And so I think he would see it as a very corporate Entity right now that could use a little bit uh, of his sort of sly antics and uh, his disruptive antics, frankly, um, I think he would just see the game as being a little bit too uh, much of a big business and not more of a sort of scrappy uh, thing that he always sort of used um, for Feller. I mean, he was a curmudgeon, and he was he he, he was somebody that uh, that probably would look at the game nowadays and say pitchers need to be going the full nine innings. That pitchers are too soft, and these guys are coddled <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just projecting on based on what I remember. Oh,
2: Feller, there's no what what doubt he would think that. He would he would think that. Yeah. He he, he, would, he would go yeah. after it analytically. Three innings pitch. What do you mean? You, you might just, don't even send him in there. You can hear him saying it now. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Dobie and Page. I mean, I think it's it's a little unfortunate that you know uh, black athletes have are are, are much uh, rarer than they were back at that time. I mean, you see the percentages of black athletes in baseball going down and I think what's interesting with Dobie was that he was he was a four-star athlete in high school and some people said that baseball wasn't even in his best sport. He got a scholarship to play college basketball at one of the best programs in the country um, which was disruptive because he got inducted into the, the armed services for the war. But he, people said that he had moves on the basketball court that nobody had seen before. It was like everybody was shooting, shooting those two-handed set shots in the 40s and Dobie was kind of flying around the like Elgin Baylor. And so, uh, you know, I think that if Dobie were, were sort of starting up uh, now or even 10 or 20 years ago, he might not have been a baseball player either. Mm. He might have chosen either football or basketball because those were, you know, equally good sports. But back then, to make money, um, baseball was the way to go. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if Dobie would have would, would sort of fault a lot of black athletes
2: for not choosing to, to go into baseball. It's amazing the era that, that athletes play in and the differences if you fast-forwarded time or rewound it and just to kind of see what would take place. I mean, that Indians team, maybe they win multiple championships if, the Yankee, if they're not in the era of the Yankees. I, it's just so many unbelievable variables to, uh, to think about. Final question for you, Luke. What, what do you hope people say about the book?
1: well I really want the book to do two things one I tried to write it um, to be almost novelistic in, in a way I did not want to sort of bog people down with statistics or things like that I wanted it to read uh, to read almost like a really exciting story about how these four men kind of circled each other and dealt with uh, dealt with certain issues namely sort of the racial issues of the time, but then came together onto the Indians and produced one of the most thrilling pennant races of baseball. So I really hope that it's an excellent read. But I also hope it sort of revives these four figures, each of whom, I mean, maybe not Central Page, but certainly Dobie, Vec, and Feller sometimes get lost in the shuffle, um, you know, I think even Feller, who at that time was one of the most popular people in the entire country, has been a little bit overlooked uh, in recent generations. We remember DiMaggio, we remember Ted Williams, but Feller was right there on their level at that time, and he's certainly fallen off. Um, so, and Dobie, of course, gets overshadowed by Jackie Robinson, and um, what he contributed was was equally as meaningful, so I, I hope it's just a way to sort of expand out that time of integration in baseball.
2: Well, well said. I, I that's that's an incredible answer, and I I'm with you on all of it. And and Bob Feller, my goodness, no warriors. Could you imagine the year he would have put away? He would have put records. Nobody would have been able to touch him. I mean, the, the strikeouts. Oh,
1: yeah. At age 22, Bob Feller had 100 wins and a thousand
2: strikeouts. Unbelievable. He was
1: 22 years old.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and wins by the way, still. In my book, still count for at least a little something, despite all the analytical people who think that they don't. Along with batting average, along with RBI, and along with all the other stuff that's going on in the game today. Uh, well, look, go get the book, folks. It's called Our Time, Ta- uh, Our Team: The Epic Story of Four Men in the World Series to Change Baseball, uh, and of course, the Larry Doby, Bill Veeck, Bob Feller, Satchel Paige foursome, the '48 Championship, and uh, all the impactful things that those four. Did uh, winning a championship for Cleveland uh, for black baseball, for Major League Baseball, you name it. And the author is Luke Eplin, online where books are sold, and of course in major bookstores as well. On Twitter, at Luke Eplin. Luke, this was incredible. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your summer, okay? All right, thank you. The ML Sports Platter is brought to you by Bryant and Stratton College, the Allen Angus Pub, and Prestwick Golf. A huge tip of the cap, thank you as well to Sit Means Sit Syracuse, any dog, any behavior. And any breed, welcome at Sit Means Sit Syracuse in and around central New York. The best dog training available to help your lifestyle with your pup. SitMeansSit.com. Free consultations are available. Today And, of course, the support from the Whitaker and Swan families of the Platter is appreciated as well. Let's do a little crossover here. I uh, recently had an opportunity to talk to Stu Boyer, the longtime Buffalo Bills TV personality and insider. Uh, He's now retired but follows the game closely and uh, has seen it all, you know, covering the Buffalo Bills through the decades as we prepare for a season of expectations for the Bills that we probably haven't seen since, I don't know, the early 90s. Pick one, 93, 92 Uh, Stu Boyer joined to chat a Josh Allen, chat about the new stadium chat about all sorts of different things uh, Buffalo Bills related I did that on the Bills Brawl Here is that interview
0: You're listening to a Brawl Network production This is a podcast for the best fans in the NFL Are you in the mafia? Am I in the what? It's time for a Bills Brawl podcast. Second down and
1: Kelly with the Touchdown, Allen. Allen, deep shot, touchdown. On the line to Stephon Diggs. And Thurman breaking tackles at the 22
0: inside the 10. Touchdown, Buffalo.
2: It is another edition of the Bills Brawl. I'm Mike Lindsley. Get us on Twitter, at Bills Brawl, at Network Brawl, and at Mike L Sports for all of your Bills and NFL coverage. I'm super excited to talk with a long-time, he's not retired, but a longtime media man in western New York, one of the best TV personalities to roam the business. He worked at WGRZ-TV, covering the Bills, covering the Sabres, the Buffalo sports scene Uh, for decades on end, and I'm proud to call him a friend as well. It is the terrific Stu Boyer. Stu, welcome back, buddy. How are you?
3: Fabulous, fabulous, and fabulous. It's great. (laughs) I'm enjoying it, and thanks for having me
2: back on. I appreciate it. No doubt. So I know that you still keep a close eye on the Buffalo Bills, a team you covered for decades, and recently uh, was announced that they're going to try to get that new stadium going in Orchard Park. What was your... What was your thought then uh, when the news was released? And obviously you (laughs) covered the team for a long time. The stadium was always an issue, Stu. I find the whole thing interesting. Everybody kind of jockeying for position and putting
3: some positions out there for negotiating purposes, perhaps. Um, I've been of the mindset for a long time that if you're going to put money into the old stadium, you may as well just build a new stadium and do it the right way. And according to one of the things I read, Terry Pagula doesn't think there should be a dome on it because he thinks football should be played outside. So we'll see how that all plays out. I didn't like reading that they that the Bills might have to play someplace else for two years, which I am not a fan of, not at all. Where would
2: they play? Toronto again? It didn't work real well. Oh. And I don't know where they would put this stadium. And the other thing... Um, After COVID-19, it might be a little tough to get public money. So there are a lot of factors that play into all this, and I guess the best answer I can give you is, is to say, boy, it's going to be fascinating to see how this whole thing plays out. It really is. Do you have any worry at all still that the Bills wouldn't be in Buffalo down the line? I know the Pagoulas are committed. I know they want the stadium. They're obviously really good right now. But is there still a scenario where Bills fans have to worry?
3: I don't think so. Okay,
2: but um, you know things change fast, and you just never know. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I still
3: don't like the idea of them playing any place else but here. I mean, really, where else could they play? Toronto and where else? Yeah. The yeah. Carrier Dome.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, they can't even fill that place. Come on.
3: You know, really, I mean no i i don't but things change fast i, I don't think um public money is going to be easily forthcoming since the government has spent so much on the pandemic and at some point this spigot has to get turned off so you know the question that will be much tougher to answer is why should the public continue to make billionaires get richer um which is essentially what happens so and plus you know if you're Team that is just absolutely the laughing stock of everybody. Oh, they're terrible, and you got a football team that's a Super Bowl contender. So you know you are going to be hanging around with the football team, showing everybody all the good stuff, right? So I am not concerned about them leaving at all,
2: and I, I just don't see that happening. I, I, but like I said, things can change fast, and you just never know. Um, but I don't see that happening if if they ended up going. Back on the word of, you know, hey, we're going in Orchard Park. It's going to be on the same site, whatever, whatever. And they've done a lot with the facilities, obviously, to be able to hold training camp and, and many other things right on the home soil. But if they said, you know what, no, this isn't going to work out. The money's not working out. You know, maybe get a couple extra corporate folks downtown is the place to be. We, we changed our mind. We're going downtown. I don't, I don't know, Stu. I see this, this downtown, if it were a situation, and right now, Again, it's not, but it, it it's probably still on the back of people's minds for a backup plan. I think if they go into a, a downtown place, you know, maybe open air, maybe not, maybe you know, whatever the case may be. But downtown means more money, more corporate boxes, more just more, more, more. I mean, you could price out a lot of Bills Mafia with that stadium downtown, couldn't you? Um, I
3: would say probably, but do they really care? Because you mentioned it, the corporate suites and all that kind of stuff, isn't that really where the real money is? And anyone who thinks that any of these owners really gives a damn about the fans is oh, kidding God. themselves. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, downtown is interesting, but you know we we just elected a quote unquote democratic socialist mayor. Um, that was going to be a write off a write-in campaign by the former mayor, but who's going to win that? How does all that play into whatever happens? Because no elected official wants to be on the bad side of something happening to the bills, correct? So uh, how does any of this play into all of that? I really don't know. Um, But there are a lot of interesting, a lot of moving parts going on at the same time. And, you know, um... I have no idea how to read any of the tea leaves other than to say it's very early in the process. I know Roger Goodell and the NFL have been kind of agitating for a new stadium since, uh, since the Pagulas bought the team. So we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, like I said, if you're going to pour money into the old stadium, you might as well build a new one. And having said that, the stadium's still a great place to go watch a football game. There's great sight lines everywhere, as far as I can tell, unless you're sitting a few rows behind the benches on either side. Once you get above those rows, you got great sight lines, with the exception of all the people who don't belong on the field still being on the field.
2: Tell you what, that's you a know? great point. I still think the stadium is awesome in Buffalo. I, I really do. I think sitting up in the 300s, you get just a spectacular view. Uh, I look forward to going. I, I prefer the NFL on TV just because, especially if it's a Bills 1 o'clock game, you get the rest of the day, you can watch everything, you don't miss things, you work in the media, you don't miss stuff, uh, you can go to social media, you can get on your phone during the game. <laughs> hey, you're at, a, you're at a 1 o'clock Bills game, man. You might as well just chuck the whole day away because you got to get up at 6 a.m., you got travel, you gotta, you, know, you got to deal with all the traffic, you got to deal with the traffic back, uh, you're missing the 4 o'clock usually, you get home, you're too tired to stay up for the Sunday nighter, <laughs> and, and, and then you're trying to play catch-up the next day, too, especially if you hit a tailgate the right way, right? So it's like, what am I doing here? You know, I, I the 1 o'clock game, when the Bills are on at 1 and you're home and you don't miss anything, you get some takeout for lunch, I, to me that's, that's, that, that's a good day, but I still do like going to the stadium. Well, since I am now officially retired, um, I plant my fat
3: backside on the couch <laughs> and watch the games on TV. Yep. Um, and every once in like, we're going to go down to Jacksonville and, and the Bills game at Jacksonville, and we're going to see that one in person. But really, um, you got a better seat at, at home for lots of different reasons. I, I, I know the you know people like the NFL experience and the home nine yards, but I like the experience of being able to change channels during commercials. I like to be able to watch other games after the Bills game. The, everything about it, you know. I don't like paying X amount of dollars for overpriced food when I got stuff at home that I can
2: eat. So I enjoy very much Mike sitting at home watching the games on TV. Twenty and, and feet. I'll tell you what last year Mike I watched
3: more football games than ever because I didn't have to work.
2: Right. And then yeah.
3: College and Pro and it sure. was
2: great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty feet to the bathroom, twenty feet to the refrigerator, and eh, I'm good. You know, like I feel pretty yes. good. WGRZ TV for years, Stu Boyer. Covering the Buffalo Bills, uh, joining us here on the Bills Brawl. Um, Let's get to a little bit of the upcoming season. I mean, what do you expect here for uh, the training camp, at least how they're going to try to work this thing in? And and obviously, Stu, this is, wow. I mean, this is the most hyped Bills season since probably 93, 94, somewhere in there? Yes, certainly somewhere in the early 90s. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. This is a Super Bowl contending
3: team. And, you know, you got to have a little bit of luck. But I think they've done a really nice job constructing this roster. And obviously, you know, Josh Allen made a gigantic leap last year. Will he take a small step back? I don't know. I don't think so. But, you know, can he continue to get even better, which should scare the pants off of everybody in the NFL? Um, but I, I just – they've got really good – Find a real significant weakness on that team, yeah. and I don't think you can do it. You can point to this guy or that guy or this position and that position, but there's no significant weakness. Let's just say for argument's sake that everybody – listen, they're good enough so that if everybody takes a small step back, they're still a good team. And if everybody takes a small step forward, then they become a
2: great team. That's how good I think they are. I'm very optimistic. And go back might you go back to the AFC
3: Championship game if Devin Singletary
2: catches Here that it pass? Is. Yep. Which which he should have. Yep. And he and he found his backside on the bench for a long time after that, which is right where it belonged. Yeah. He catches that pass. Does that get? I don't know.
3: It's a first down. And he's got some real estate in front of him. It's a first down. Now, does it dramatically change the game? I don't know. But but it certainly would have would have had some kind of an impact because you got to make that play.
2: You do, and and I was just going to go right to it. The running back room is going to be interesting from my seat because you you bring in Matt Breida, who's a speed-type guy. He can can take it to the house every time he touches it. Zach Moss had the injury issue last year, obviously, late in the year in the playoffs, but he fumbled on the one- or two-yard line in San Fran. They benched him, and then he came back with a vengeance, wore down the Steelers in the fourth quarter, wore down the Broncos in the fourth quarter. I, I think he's still a very formidable back. You look at Singletary, you just mentioned the drop last year. The running backs this year, how much do you think they need to produce? Because a lot of people think the Bills need to run the ball a little bit more, especially if they challenge the Chiefs, because teams that have beaten KC, the proof is in the pudding that you had to run the ball. You look at the numbers, it's true. By the same token, you don't just say, well, we're an 80-20 passing running team. Like we got to get to 60-40 to win it all. It's not, you're not going to change your pedigree here. You got Allen and Diggs and Beasley and everybody else. How much of a running back influence will this crew have? Not much. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's it's a passing team. Yeah, and This team goes as far as Josh Allen's right arm can take them and the guys you you mentioned who can catch them. And and you know, if the running backs improve just a little that would be huge, and Matt Breda I think is a is a big upgrade. He's got the game breaking speed. That's why so many people wanted to see them draft Travis Etienne from Clemson, Clemson, because they think he's got the game breaking speed, which he had in college. Will he have it in the NFL? I don't know. Um, hmm. But um, they, the running back room needs to show some improvement. How much improvement? I don't know. Um, they need to do it a better job. Put it this way. When they want to seal the game out and close it out, they need to be better. Um, and Singletary, he supposedly had a good offseason. They gave him a list of what they wanted him to work on, explosiveness, et cetera. And uh, he supposedly went in the offseason and, and really worked on it. So we'll see. When training camp starts, we'll get a much better idea. Um but I don't think the running back room needs a dramatic improvement, but it does need to improve. And who knows, you know, that just that little bit may be enough. Um, you know, we'll see. And it, obviously, Kansas City, until somebody knocks them off, is the team to beat, and the Bills were not impressive in two games against Kansas City last year. Uh, but again, he catches that pass in the championship game, different game, the thing that I struck me as funny as Patrick Mahomes had the exact same game in the Super Bowl, that Josh Allen had it in the AFC championship game. And nobody gave Patrick Mahomes grief for that, but Josh Allen caught a lot of it. And I was like, really? (laughs) And I get it. Kansas city was missing two key offensive linemen, but you know what? They kept them. They kept Mahomes on one side of the field and pounded him. You know what I mean? So, um, if the running back room improves even a little bit, I think it'll really help this team. But remember, this is a passing team, and that's what it's going to be. And I'm thrilled that Brian Dayball came back. Now you got four years with the same quarterback and coaching staff unheard of and tremendous for this group.
2: When and did you team. When did you really start to buy in to the team of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean? That's a really good question. Um,
3: Well, it took me a little while, but you could really see that they had a plan and they were sticking to it. And as much as you didn't like the line from Sean McDermott about trust the process, you could see (laughs) it was true and that nothing happens overnight. Um, I don't have an exact time for that, but I just, you know... (laughs) Maybe the day the Bengals put him into the playoffs, <laughs> or, or or actually after that playoff game, because they knew they were never going—you know—that was the official end of Tyrod Taylor. You yeah. were never going anywhere with that guy. That's a game they should have won hands down six ways on Sundays. Uh, they let Blake Bortles beat them. So, I think maybe coming out of that, their their reaction to it and how they approached the team and maybe drafting when they drafted Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, because then they were serious. But the the real thing was when they finally just, you know, okay, Josh is our guy, we had, you know, AJ McCarron and Nathan Peterman. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, we traded up to get this guy and he's a seventh overall pick and we're going to play him. And, you know, Brandon Bean said his job to get a franchise quarterback. Well, they believed in him. And so did I. And, look where we are now. So I guess I don't have one particular moment just watching the whole thing unfold and then watching that the, that offense last year. It was like, wow, they're doing some really special things. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this year with Emmanuel Sanders. Um, you know, that's the guy they wanted to sign last year, and they finally got him this year. So that's a good move, and you know it allowed them to cut ties with John Brown, who missed like eight games last year. Yep. So, I don't have a particular moment, Mike, that's a really good question, but I don't have a particular moment other than to say, (laughs) I guess at some point I bought in to trust the process and liked what I saw.
2: Yeah, I mean, Brandon Bean, I think for me, was really early. I just saw a lot of the deals he made and his maneuvering and getting in and cleaning out the dirty laundry, so to speak, and going out and buying new clothes, and then for McDermott, for me, it was... It was post when he when he put Nathan Peterman in as a starter. So my gosh. This is the defensive head coach that I I dread because they just don't know what they're doing. They're overdoing it. Let your offense do and then after that, and after he learned his lesson, he finally said, I'm in I'm into the new NFL. Let's start throwing the damn ball. You get Allen, they build pieces around, and he's buying he's bought into it totally as the head coach, which, you know, look, as a defensive head coach, Sometimes these defensive wizards, man, these guys, they, they got these big egos where they're like, no, 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 we still got to win games 6-3, to three, man. We still got to win games with Red Grange over here. Well, guess what? No, you know, no. It, it's a throwing league. Granted, you know, you can stop a quarterback like a Mahomes or a Brady twice in the Super Bowl like the Giants did, but the reality of the situation is you win with your arm, you win with your QB, you win with offense. And once McDermott bought in and said, that's it, I get it now. Let's roll. I think that's when I was officially on board with him. Well that I would agree I would agree. That's that's a good way to look at
3: it. And also with no, not every Brandon Bean move, move worked. If sure. you remember, he brought in Kelvin Benjamin and that that just didn't work. But he's
2: not shy about pulling the trigger. The Stefan Diggs trades, brilliant. I never thought Diggs was gonna be coming to Buffalo. Me either. But, you know, yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow,
3: we got this guy. I know. And, you know, um, and then, you know, listen, this guy said he staked his reputation on getting a franchise quarterback. So essentially he bet on himself. And now he's got one of the best in the league. The the guy is big, strong, getting better, coachable. Tell me something you don't like about the kid, because I don't think you can find anything he can be better at everything. Sure. He can So can anybody, but attitude, you name it, leadership, all the intangibles, they're all right there. And he's about to have a major payday. Um, and he's earned it. So good for him. Um, but you know, I didn't realize he was such a great runner until he started playing, you know, when he hurdled the linebacker in Minnesota, that's like, whoa! wait a second, this kid's six, five. And he just did that. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, when a guy comes out and says publicly, even an NFL GM, I stake my reputation on getting a franchise quarterback, that's pretty powerful stuff. And guess what? He went out and did it. So um, I give him credit for putting it out there, which we all knew anyway. Um, But he didn't have to say it. He
2: said it, he embraced it, and he did it. So I'm on board with him too. Final thing here in about a minute that we have remaining. Do you... Miss, I know you're enjoying retirement. I know every day is great. Every day is, as as they say, is a Saturday. You know when you when you retire, but do you ever wake up and just have that one urge where you're like, man, I wish I was at the stadium right now, or, or you watch any kind of event in 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 the Western New York area and you're like, geez, I, man, I'd love to be able to do that. What, are, I'd love to be able to do, you know, like one more cast on this or cover. You know, cover this high school event or somebody doing something spectacular in the area. Do, do you have, do you have any kind of urge ever when you wake up when you those thoughts go through your mind, or is it just is it all gone at this point? Well, I, I'm doing some high school games
0: for a website called Western New York Athletics, and that kind of scratches the itch a cool.
2: little bit. Cool, good.
3: And, and when the Bison's come back, I may have a chance to do a little bit with them. So there's enough stuff to do to keep me interested. Um, but the answer to your question is, nah, not really.
2: <laughs> by the way, baseball in Buffalo has been pretty cool with the Blue Jays.
3: Yeah. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah.
2: I, uh, I went to an
3: Orioles game, of course, the one they lost.
2: Sure. Well, they lose uh, them all. So
3: yeah, no, I mean the one that the, Blue
2: Oh, Jays the Blue Jays lost. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, uh, but
3: it, but it is, um, it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, and the answer to that question is not really. I mean, I get enough doing stuff for the website. It's sure. a little bit of money, and it's a lot of fun. It's high school kids. Oh, that's great! And it's not you know. There's no stress, and and believe me, I really like it. And I'm looking forward to the return of good TV when the pandemic ends. No more Zoom interviews. Yep. No more bad audio, poorly framed shots, autofocus, right. nothing. So um, I'm hoping that stuff just goes away, and there's a, re- a legitimate return to normalcy but no mike I, I had a great run and uh, was able to put it behind me nicely and i'm very happy and but thank you for thinking of that yeah good. okay what else is nice what is nice mike sure. is i i go to all these different places and i still have people saying hey we miss you on tv or you know hey you haven't been on for a while they some of them aren't aware that i retired they're very nice and very complimentary so so far i haven't run into the one person who said
2: boy am i glad you retired well, an amazing ride it was, Stu Boyer, WGRZ-TV, for a long time in Western New York covering the Buffalo Bills. Stu, this is a real treat for me. Thank you so much, and obviously I'm proud to call you a friend as well. So continued success your way uh, in retirement. I should, I guess I should say on and off the retirement field for you because you're still doing the high school thing, and, and of course, uh, keep, keep rolling, having fun, and, and, and being involved, and maybe I'll see you out there in WNY in due time, my man. Well, that'd be great. I'd like to see you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Welcome back to Holiday Hits Radio. This next song goes out to a special trio, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and HomeGoods. Kate from Utah didn't know holiday magic was real until she met you. From your always-stocked gifts to your countless locations and great prices, you're making our holiday dreams come true. Let's hear that song. Visit TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and HomeGoods for endless selection and great prices all season long. The lines are lighting up. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding
1: stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The Sleep Number 360 Smartbed effortlessly adjusts in response to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our weekend special. Save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smartbed. Plus free premium delivery when you add a base. Ends Monday. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.